0: Good morning. Glad you're with me this morning. I'm gonna tell you a story, a couple of stories actually, as we get started. I came across the movie the other day, a story by a about a young man by the name of Brandon Earlsworth. The movie is greater. His story was that he grew up playing in High school playing in football, getting several scholarship opportunities to small universities and colleges. But he had his heart set on playing for the University of Arkansas Razorbacks. And he played for them for four years, from 1995 through 1998. It was a tough way to get to the University of Arkansas because he was not offered a scholarship by them. He decided he would walk on, and he would try out. And that freshman year, he put his heart and soul into it, and he worked out hard, and he just didn't make it. But working with a coach who believed in him, his sophomore year, he was awarded a scholarship. He was also awarded a place as starting right guard on the offensive line. Throughout his football career at the University of Arkansas, Brandon became co-captain of the team in his junior year. In 1997 and 98, he earned first-team All-SEC honors. And was selected for the 1998 All-SEC College America football team. Those four years of college, not only did he excel and work hard on the field, but he also worked hard in the classroom. He achieved. The All SEC Academic Honor Roll every year from 1995 through 1998. In 1998, he graduated with his Bachelor of Arts in Business Administration. And then playing in his final year, he got his master's degree in Business Administration. In 1999, He was was drafted by the Indianapolis Colts in the third round. They projected that he would be starting right guard for their team that year. But he didn't make it. Sadly, 11 days after being drafted, he was killed in a car accident. He was driving home after a workout. He was going to go home and pick up his mother and go to a church event. But he didn't make it. He was tragically killed in a car accident. Now, the movie really looks at two stories. It looks at Brandon and his accomplishments and all that he did and the relationships that he developed with his teammates and how he pushed them and got on the team. You, you name it. it was, it's a good story but it also deals with the wrestlings of his older brother who just couldn't believe that this could happen to him, could happen to his brother who put so much into it. I would suggest that it was the classic, why God, after he's done all of this, you're going to allow this to happen before he can even live his dream? And I said, that the way it is sometimes. We go through life just wondering about things, about how it's going to be, and we have all of our aspirations, and we want them to come true, and we work hard only to have something happen. And we say, why, God? Everyone here today who can hear this probably can ask that same question. Why, God? Why did this happen? I know I can, if you're watching this and you don't know me, you're seeing it from the internet or you're new to Yuma and new to Central, you know, or I'll tell you that I was 24 years of age. Everything was going very well. Well, everything maybe, except for my spiritual life, I really wasn't growing much, then one day, 1978, October, my son died of sudden infant death syndrome. That was a tragedy of innumerable proportions. It really took us and set us back. The only thing that kept me going was that I had faith that I would see my son in heaven. 30 years later, it happened again when our 25-year-old son died. Why, God? God, I got the message maybe when I was younger and I became more sincere and earnest about my faith and tried to grow. I became a preacher, and then 30 years later, I go down that dark road again. Why, God? and then sometimes the cynical me will say well why not me god never made me any promises except if you're faithful unto death i'll give you a crown of life but i look back to the scriptures and i see also that there was a young man so i invite you to turn with me if you would please to first samuel chapter 16 saul is king over israel but he sinned in chapter 15, he did not kill all the Amalekites. He offered sacrifices that were not his position to offer. So God removed the throne from him. And in chapter 16, starting in verse 1, it says, Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have selected a king for myself among his sons. Saul or Samuel was worried. Saul, if he finds out I'm going to do this, he will kill me. He says, No, you take a sacrificial animal. You go up there and tell him you're going to offer a sacrifice to the Lord, and you invite Jesse and his sons to be there with you. And he does. He does just that. And says in verse 5, he said to them, I peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. He consecrated Jesse and his sons invited them to the sacrifice. And when they entered, he looked at Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord told Samuel, do not look at his appearance or his height or his stature, because I have rejected him. For God sees not as man sees, but God looks from the heart. You see, man looks at the outward appearance. God heart. And when he went through all of Jesse's sons, God hadn't showed him. So he asked him, said, Is, do you have another son? He says, yes, the youngest, David. He's out in the field tending the sheep, tending the flocks. Well, you bring him. We'll not sit down until he comes here. And when David gets there, he was a good-looking young man. But the Lord said to Samuel, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. And so David was anointed king in Israel that day. He was going to serve as king. Now, God caused an evil spirit to afflict Saul. But it was calm when the harp was played. And somebody told Saul about a boy that could play the harp like no one else. And Saul said, Send for him so David is brought into Saul's court, and he plays the harp at those times when Saul is just beside himself, this evil spirit uh, causing him immense pain and anguish and anger. And whatever that spirit did to him, David's playing of the harp would calm him. In chapter 17, we read of that battle between the Philistines and Israel. It wasn't a normal war. It was one where Goliath, who was the challenger, came out and said to Israel, I tell you what, you send one of your chosen people, one of your valiant warriors, to fight me. If he wins and kills me, we'll serve you. But if I kill him and we win, you serve us. Israel Was petrified. They didn't know what to do. And so just stood there, army against army, doing virtually nothing. But in the meantime, Jesse sent David to the front lines to check on his brothers, to give a report, to take some food to them. And David hears what Goliath is saying. And he wonders who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Who is saying these things? about Jehovah God? Well, you know the story. David says, I can do this. I'll do it. God will give me the victory. Saul's armor was too heavy and too big and wouldn't work for him. And so amidst Goliath's taunts, David walks out there and picks up some stones and his sling. And you know the story. He kills Goliath. Israel is victorious. They rout the Philistines. That's not the end of the story, is it? You see, Samuel has anointed David as king, but Saul is still alive and on the throne. But the songwriters started singing, the people of Israel started singing, Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. Saul becomes angry. He has promised whoever kills Goliath will receive his daughter in marriage. Now it's his son-in-law. For Saul gave him Michael, his daughter. Jonathan is there in the court with David, and he gets to know him, and they become best of friends. Ultimately, David has to flee because Saul is trying to kill him. But David does not lift his hand against God's anointed. Well, making a long story short, it, what happens is Saul is eventually killed in battle. And so David now is king. And he has established his kingdom, and everything is going well. And the kingdom, his borders are fur, the furthest they've ever been. Everything is going fantastic for David. And then as we turn to 2 Samuel, uh, this is when it kind of gets sad. Because David is doing so well up to this point. But one day, when the kings, chapter 11, if you will, when the springtime, when kings go out to battle, David sent the army out, but he stayed behind. And for whatever reason, one night he was out on top of his house and he looked down below him and saw a woman taking a bath. And he became enamored with her. And lust kicked in and he called for her to come to him. And he committed adultery with her. They had an illicit relationship. She conceives a child. David tries to cover it up, ultimately killing her husband and then marrying her. But in chapter twelve, Nathan the prophet comes to him and confronts him, saying, "You are the man." Well, in that chapter, David says and repents and acknowledges as that, he says, "I've sinned against the Lord." And Nathan said to David, the Lord has taken away your sin. You shall not die. However, by, because of this deed, you have given occasion of the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme the child that is born to you shall surely die. Well, that child was born and didn't live very long. David fasted and prayed and hoped that it would live and God would relent and spare that child's life because it wasn't his fault. But alas, the child died. And David's household would be met with turmoil in subsequent years. Solomon is now born, but the story doesn't go there. It goes to another son and a daughter of David. Amnon became obsessed with his sister, Tamar, probably a half-sister, but became obsessed with her and was ill one day, or claimed to be ill, and called for her. He was going to have her. And so he says, come into my bedroom. And she does. She brings him some food, and he attacks her. He rapes her, and she's beside herself. Her brother Absalom hears about it, and he promises vengeance. He will avenge his sister. It took him two years to do so, but he did so. And he tried after he killed Absalom, he tried to take, after he killed Amnon, he tried to take the throne from David. Well, David fled Jerusalem and he was running for his life and they were fleeing, but David's troops prevailed. And Joab, David's right-hand man. And you have to realize Absalom was perhaps his father's favorite son at that time. But Joab kills Absalom. And it says in 2 Samuel chapter 18, verse 33, the king was deeply moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And thus he said as he walked, Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, would I have died? Instead of you, oh, Absalom, my son, my son, David was beside himself with grief. He wished that it was him that died. David knew and understood what pain was. You know, I am involved in some grief groups in Facebook. And one of the things that I know is that people just struggle sometimes getting through the process of grief. It wasn't necessarily easy for me and my wife as we got through it. But we did. And I think there's a key in David's story. You know, how did David handle it? Well... After all, David was going through all of this. God made him king, anointed him, was with him. He had to wonder, if I am God's king, God's favorite, how did all of this happen to me? What's going on in my life? The preacher, professor of homiletics, Haddon Robinson, said this. Whenever the facts of your faith come into conflict with the facts of your life, and you find that your faith is in peril, what do you do? How do you handle it? How do you get through that? It is not an easy road to walk. So turn with me, if you would, please, to the 131st Psalm. This is a Psalm of David. It is... In the class of Psalms, called the Song of Ascents, and we could talk more about what that means, but I don't want to get into that right now, but I want to look at the Psalm. Psalm 131, three verses long, but it says a lot. My heart is not proud, O Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me but I have stilled and quieted my soul. Like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. There's no doubt that David had questions. When you read through the Psalms and you read some of the Psalms, many of the Psalms of David, you can hear it. He was, after all, God's anointed. But how did David get through this? One of the things is, he did not focus his attention on the problems that he had, because if it did, it would have put him against God. He said, my heart is not proud, O Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. What's the difference between pride and arrogance? In our English language, we'll do that because pride is seen as a good thing, is seen as something of a, a healthy self-esteem, but arrogance is quite a bit different. I believe it was in psychology today that wrote, pride arises out of the, out of taking responsibility for a specific action that is considered positive and socially valued, but arrogance arises from pride, not in one's actions, but in one's global self. Well, that says an awful lot, but maybe to put it in an easier way of understanding it, pride comes from doing the work to prepare oneself, and then succeed because one has done the necessary work. Arrogance, on the other hand, is, I am successful. I have succeeded because I am great. Forget the work. It just comes natural. I think back to Brandon Burleson. He set his goal on being an Arkansas Razorback. He really wanted that so bad. And what did he do? He tried out. Didn't make the cut. He volunteered to, you know, redshirt onto the team. And he worked hard. And he worked hard. And the coaches saw his hard work. And one of them Turned him into a lean machine, and he got a position, sophomore year, full scholarship, and his starting right guard. He worked hard. He had every right to be proud of his accomplishments. He was still a very humble young man because he knew what he was doing that he didn't take it and count himself as anything great, nor did David. I think in verse one of this Psalm, my heart is not proud. To me, a better word would be, my heart is not arrogant. Because proud yeah, I want us to be proud in the things that we accomplish because of the work that we do to put in them. Not that we're great, not in, our, in an arrogant way, but in we've done all the work. You've done the work, and that's great. Arrogant is another story. David went on to say, my eyes are not haughty. That is, I'm not looking down on anyone. You know, that's what a person who has haughty eyes does. They're really up there looking down on other people, and you've run into people that look down upon you like you were nothing, and you know how you felt. Well, let's look at it a different way at those who, in the midst of their grief, sometimes rail against God. Could it be that their eyes are haughty? That they're looking down upon God, the creature looking down and complaining to the Creator and putting Him on trial? I think that's what they're doing. They're looking down upon God. In the midst of their questioning, they're angry, and they're haughty, and they want to know why. Yeah, we all want to know the answer to the question why. David said, I don't care. My eyes are not haughty. I'm not going to live my life in such a way where I put the blame on God that will take me away from him. I believe it's okay to ask questions. It's okay to ask the question, why? In fact, again, Haddon Robinson said, the difficulty in asking the question why is when the question, the question mark, if you will, becomes a dagger. And you can visualize that right now, can't you? You know what a question mark looks like when you type it into your, on your computer screen or you draw one out on a piece of paper? Is it a question or is it a dagger that you're using to attack God? David said, my eyes are not haughty. I've not concerned myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. This could go back all the way to his beginning out as a being anointed by Samuel so many years before. He was just a lowly shepherd boy, and he was just entertaining that. And I think he knew that there were some great things that God had not revealed to him and would not reveal to him. And he was just letting God know those secret things, and he would just trust in him. And that's the way it is for you and for me. We just have to trust God. In the midst of our pain, we have to reach within us and recognize that God is there. And how do we do that? The second verse says, but I have stilled and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, my soul is within me. Ah, babies, they're wonderful. And when you see them nursing at their mother's breast, it's just a wonderful sight. And you know how calm they are. But you see, that's what they want. They're hungry, and they want that to be satisfied. But it's the child here that's not a nursing child, but a wean child, David says, like a wean child with its mother. He just curls up there with his mother just to be by her side. And he says, that's the way I am with God. I'm like a weaned child is with my soul within me. It's like, I just want to get next to you, God, and be right there with you and allow you to give me your comfort. To give me that peace that Paul would write about that passes all understanding in Ephesians chapter three. In the midst of one's grief, in the midst of this conflict between life and faith, how do you do it? Be still and know that I am God. That's what God said. That's what the psalmist said. And so David then turns from himself, turns from what he's thought about. And I know one commentator said that David did the first two verses and probably Hezekiah did the second, did this third verse. And I don't know. I like to keep it with David. David turns and says, oh, Israel. Put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. Where is your hope? Where else will you find it? You see, Jesus said, be faithful unto death and I'll give you a crown of life. No matter what happens to you in life, he said, be faithful to me. He said, become like a little children to become like a little child to enter the kingdom of heaven because that's what it's all about so the psalmist saying israel don't look to yourself don't look to your own accomplishments and your own abilities put your hope in the lord if you truly want to be successful if you truly want to get where you need to be put your hope in the lord today and always. And that's the message for us as well. In the midst of our grief, in the midst of conflicts of faith, when life and faith conflict with one another, put your hope in the Lord today and tomorrow, because that's where we need to be. I know that there are those out there who are struggling with issues of faith. In the midst of their grief, they are struggling. I want you to know I'm right there with you. I've been where you are, and I may be there again struggling with matters of faith and life when they conflict with one another. But I'm going to put my trust, my hope in the Lord. I'm going to lean on Him. I will be still and know that He is God. I invite you to do the same. May God bless you every day of your life, especially at those times in life when they're a challenge and you're asking, why God? It's okay to ask why. Just don't let that question mark become a dagger. May God bless you in your life as you walk with him. In the name of Jesus, amen.